Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs. Providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like Tech Leader's favourite off-the-shelf service, providing high-quality, performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is moi, TC Gill, IT Lab's Chief Talking Officer. And I'm speaking from, can you guess, UK London. (coughs) The big smoke. (coughs) The big smoke. One of the very few truly international cities of the world. And in this episode, we're going to speak to a Chief Strategy Officer, CSO, and a Chief Information Security Officer, CISO, at Control Tech USA. And that's not all. He does a lot more. He's a thought leader in the technology space and a fellow technical podcast host. So welcome, Tom Meham. Welcome to CTO Confessions. Uh, Thank you for having me, TC. Uh, Really excited for the podcast today. That's brilliant. So um, introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you and what do you do, sir? Sure. So uh, my name is Tom Meehan, and uh, currently I'm the Chief Strategy Officer and Chief Information Security Officer at a company called Control Tech. And Control Tech is a security provider that focuses heavily in the retail and financial sector, uh, and we have a whole host of different offerings. Prior to joining Control Tech, uh, I worked in uh, various uh, retail roles uh, in information and technology and asset protection. And then in the 90s, uh, you know, although I wish that this was a, you know, a, a startup story in the late 90s, I had a couple small IT businesses that really uh, drove me into that. I didn't get into retail on purpose, but it was a very, uh, you know, 22 years in it and a great career. And um, now working in the private sector uh, really works out really well for me. Brilliant. And and so your kind of journey to becoming a tech leader, I mean, what was that like? Was it kind of uh, planned or did it kind of like yeah, no, it wasn't planned. You know, I think I think uh, anybody who tells you it's planned, maybe today that could be the case, but not. You know, when I I went to school for IT because it was something I liked and did, and um, uh, you know, when I started my first business, it was really by accident. It was uh, a couple of of us getting together and seeing a need. We you know we focused on networks in in law firms when the internet was in its infancy and people were just carrying cell phones. So uh, in the New York area, uh, really it was that we stepped into it. We were really successful for a small company. And then uh, as I grew up, I realized that, you know, owning the own business and not being a business guy wasn't necessarily the best thing for me. So I got into retail by accident, uh, had a bunch of uh, security roles and uh, information technology roles. And uh, the thing about retail that's interesting is uh, if you if you put the time in, in a very short period of time, I was fortunate and uh, had some really great uh jobs and worked for some amazing people that mentored me and let me run through. And I guess about 10 years ago, uh, the journey, maybe, maybe yeah, 10 years is probably accurate. The journey started to transition into where there really was this digital transformation happening uh, throughout all sectors, uh, especially in retail. And, um, you know, I got to ride that wave and being a guy that was a technical guy who was also an operator, um, got involved in, you know, very early business intelligence, got involved in uh, data science before it was cool. 
you know, really things that at that point where people turned their head and said, why would we do this? And now today it, it's household. And that journey led me to the point where I am today, where um, I'm working with the, a lot of different companies. We also, you know, aside from banking and retail, we do some aerospace and manufacturing and really all of the experience that I've had really led up to being able to take that technical side and that operational execution side and, and the business side and put them together and help uh, people really get through their goal quicker. Brilliant. Yeah, it sounds like you're the, the kind of person that's always been at the edge of a, of a technology and as, as it's emerging, you know, you're kind of at that cutting edge. Yeah, and I think that that just drives by my personal curiosity and lifetime learning. You know, people always ask me, um, especially when I deal with the younger folks in the, in their career, and, and I, I try to mentor as many people as. And how do I get to where you were? And really, it's you, you it's about putting in the time. And and you know, uh, what my example is, and still to this day, is why everybody else is, uh, you know, watching Netflix. Uh, I'm on, I'm reading books and and doing research, and <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that's really where it is. It's, and today more than when I was growing up in my career, uh, information is just so readily available. It, it's a miss. If you don't, if you don't like to read, you can listen to podcasts like this and really learn if, if you don't want to listen, you can watch videos and it's all, all at your fingertips. So I think anybody, regardless of your age or experience level, you, if you're not taking advantage of the information that's available, it's, it's a mess. Yes. That's great advice, actually. In fact, when you mentioned the Netflix thing, I, I'm, I'm, you know, we all go through cycles, and I'm through a, I'm going through a Netflix cycle at the moment. And you're absolutely right; it's very easy just to kind of sit down, and it's kind of different to my my personal character. Uh, so I think that's great advice. You know, kind of uh, don't do so much binging and and have a read a book. You know, kind of thing. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, so it, it sounds like you've got a very kind of learning uh, the curiosity. I love curious people because they're always kind of it's almost like um curiosity is like a, another sense a seventh sense you know you're kind of feeling your way forward and it kind of emerges kind of conversation so that's great advice that's particularly for aspiring leaders out there as well i mean is there anything else that you'd like to kind of add to kind of the as aspiring leaders that, that are listening yeah, I think I think from a standpoint of leadership is that uh, you know, while I, I encourage everybody to read and emulate, you know, other folks, you're going to develop your own style, and uh, and your your own style is going to change with your job role, and uh, you know, I think in the IT space specifically, you know, there's this stigma of you know uh of a, a person that would be an it leader and i and that certainly has changed over the years and what i i i actually spoke about this many years ago you know i, I was a geek before it was cool now it's cool and and you know so you know you have this stigma of this person you know is x personality and certainly there are some it folks that uh, you know might have a different personality than typical but that's in any job so when you're when you're growing through and trying to emulate leaders my advice is to you know look at the good be yourself formulate your own way to approach it and you know have that balanced approach you know i would say that i probably swung the pendulum and probably to this day too far and you know watching netflix and relaxing isn't a bad thing yeah. you know um but you know uh, people often say well i'd love to be like you i mean I, I remember setting a personal goal for myself to read a book a week and it wasn't because i read some ceo did it it's because i said how much can i consume and the reality was uh, at a certain point in life i realized that was probably a, a the wrong goal for me. Like I was too focused on doing that. So it's, you know, figure out your own style and then run through. And then however much I, I think everybody says this, if you watch a, uh, you know, YouTube videos, adversity and failure is going to happen and mm -hmm. figure out how to embrace that and understand that that is part of the leadership journey. 
and it will be part of the leadership journey. And I think today with, you know, COVID and the political climate and the global, uh, the global, um, climate, I think that people are more upset, uh, you know, accepting of that, but it's still, it's still hard for anybody to accept that there's going to be adversity that leads to failure. And as a leader, you really have to make sure that you're keeping your head up and, and driving forward. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's incredibly wise. Uh, it's something that I learned quite late on, unfortunately. I think we have to almost embrace it, you know, things going on. And, and talking about authentic, kind of uh, being authentic and being your own top leader, um, the audience can't see this, but I've got a poster behind me that uh, Tom can see, which is my authentic leadership type. Uh, so this is a whole kind of discovery of who I really am. And and um, and the people that know me is uh, my my base uh, leadership type is humour. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's that's great advice. Find your own style. Um, so coming on to the company that you work for then, Tom, what does what do they do? Yeah, so Control Tech is, I, I like to say it's the best kept secret in, in security. Yeah. And um, we've been around for 45 years, uh, second generation family owned, uh, you know, uh, healthy have been healthy throughout their, uh, the whole entire time, and the company started uh, much like a lot of entrepreneurial companies started. Uh, the founder, uh, out of the trunk of his car, uh, worked for NCR, and said, "You know, I can do this more efficiently. I can help people on my own more efficiently." And uh, so, uh, literally in 1976, in the trunk of his car, he started to work with banks and retailers selling supplies. And you know, it's this kind of grassroots entrepreneurial story of while you know starting with nothing and building up to you know the company or today uh selling bank supplies you know and what ended up happening is sometime along that journey um him and a couple other family members this was definitely a family run grown business identified a need in the market for a cash deposit bag that was disposable and it's funny when i when i tell this story if you think back to 1976 you know using a canvas bag to put money in it had a whole bunch of things that occurred so mm. um you know the company was one of the first companies to have patents on a disposable cash uh tamper evident bag the first on an eco-friendly bag the first on a coin bag that you know you could use so really took it, it took this and said oh there's a need and we today for our legacy business we're the global leader in tamper evident bags so kind of a, a, a an interesting note and i remember four years ago when i joined the company is in, in the united states of america it is impossible to have a dollar in your hand that hasn't sat in one of those bags which is wow. really it's deep and if you really think about it and then globally there are some you know uh it, it's kind of a a household name in that sector about 10 years ago the, 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 you know, just like they did in this, in you know, with the bags, they realized that um, this was a space that was becoming more crowded, and some of those patents were going away. So um, they started their transition to change into a technology company. Um, and I think, you know, uh, what I say is we went through these phases that a startup would go through, like really, you know, really starting from scratch in, in an area that, you know, required a high degree of technical acumen um, about. Five years, uh, it, I'm sorry, 10 years ago, we went into retail um, because there was a natural transition because we had retail customers. And we started with security products that retailers would use. Difference here is a little bit more technology, it, you know, uh, based products. Uh, five years ago, the, the company really took an accelerated transition. And um, I, you know, I'd love to raise my hand and say I had a lot to do with that. Uh, you know, I joined four years ago where, uh, you know, they said we need to find experts in the field. You know, we need to, we need to pad our company with folks everywhere that we want to be experts and um 
I'm happy to say in our retail line, you know, from a radio frequency identification standpoint, we have some patents and some things that no one else has we can right. deploy. Um, and then from a technology standpoint, you know, professional services and uh, we're not, uh, you know, we're not a jack of all trades, you know, and, and, you know, you'll see that, you know, we are a security provider that stays in our lane and works with partners where we shouldn't, but we're, we're born and bred, you know, customer service driven. And, you know, we talk about a first time right mentality and uh, fanatical customer service. And what I would tell you is being in the industry, you know, as a customer decision maker before, uh, we don't just say it, we really live it and, and, you know, work day and night to run through. So really great transition and a lot of fun. Um, And someone who sat on the other side of the table for so long, it was an interesting transition to see what it was like on the other side. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. It sounds like a, a very enlightened company, you know, and um, and a great story as well. You know, they kind of uh, from early development, a niche and they've kind of kept to that niche. You know, it's uh, that's fantastic. It's a great story. And and one of the things that, you know, you, you mentioned around, um, uh, you know, every dollar has been through one of your boxes. I mean, wow, that's a lot of dollars, you know. Do you have a, a kind of totalometer at work where you kind of count the number of dollars that your your product has kind of carried? So I mean, uh, without getting into specific customers, I mean the 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 reality is if you if you did some math and said uh, you know this much currency transitions in the U.S. a year, you'd be easy. It'd be fairly easy to just multiply that by fifteen or twenty years, and you'd be able to say. Oh, and when I say every dollar, as long as it's a legitimate dollar, you know, for the last uh, call it fifteen years. Uh, certainly it's it's literally impossible for it to have not sat in one of our bags somewhere um and and that goes you know that that that's uh it's kind of a fun fact and i know when i came um you know being a tech guy and and being the guy i was the bag business wasn't as as exciting uh until i really dug in and said wow this is amazing like you know we have a as close to a tamper-proof plastic bag as you can have and then me being on board being able to add innovation to those bags and use some of those you know the data elements that you know really will help enhance the customer journey Mm -hmm. with you know what was a plastic bag before is now this plastic bag that has the capability to do authentication add nfc at rfid it'll really changing that in um and without the risk of sounding cliche and using some buzzwords it's you know a digital transformation in a world that didn't necessarily see the the benefit of it yes yeah that's quite fascinating because that's this is where my curiosity kind of kicks in you know how do you kind of technologically advance a money bag you know it's well so it's a really interesting kind of point because there's a couple things to to know is um uh, in the united states there really isn't a standardized method to track money today um so over the last several years gs1 much like they did with rfid and the barcode in the 70s have uh have this standardization and if you go outside the us like france for instance has to have a standardized tracking method so one of the things i work on and this is kind of um not really uh a control tech initiative. It's really about helping the industry is how do you get cash visibility? How do you take that and, and 
and imply that standardization, which is happening throughout the industry. But then what are some of the benefits that you have with it? And it, it goes to kind of the retail world of that's where my experience there is, where we've been tracking goods forever and understanding you know, really how to work together. So that's one of the things there. But some of it is simplistic. And you would say it's just taking that barcode. And I, I, I'll use the analogy because most people understand it in an Amazon approach of, all right, I can track it in my system, but I'm going to create a method to make sure that when it leaves my system, everybody can see where it is. Um, And and that's one piece. The other piece is adding actual hard technology to the plastic bag, like an NFC chip or adding a radio frequency identification chip RFID to it, or adding, you know, in some cases for larger bags, you know, a Bluetooth, you know, so that you can actually track it in real time. That's, that's kind of the, the easy tangible side of it. The other big piece is how do you take technology and really make everybody that's dealing with this money's lives easier and get the enhancements. So QR codes versus standard barcodes to allow, you know, more uh, output and, you know, allowing people with mobile devices because everybody, you know, not everybody, but, you know, 60% of the folks have a mobile device and, mm-hmm. and really taking all those things to run together and then helping the financial institutions, the folks that move this and us understand, you know, what the flow looks like, you know, where do you need it? What, where are some challenges? So there's just a whole bunch of data, data efficiencies that are being flushed out. And I think the next five years, there'll be a lot more, um, kind of an interesting note with weather events in the U S is a lot of folks lose money for, you know, when I say lose it, it goes underwater and it takes weeks or months to find it again. Uh, And they always get it back, but it's this kind of emotional thing of there's this truck full of money somewhere. Yes. And, and, and those are things that actually really legitimately do happen today. Mm. Um, so how do we apply technology to take that away and just to make everybody's life easier? Yeah, I love this. It's, it's fascinating because, you know, it, just as you look under the covers of something, you think, oh, this is simple. But actually, there's a lot more to it than that. So so coming back to yourself then, Tom, um, what's your passion? What, what, what really kind of gets you out of bed in the morning and get, you know, bouncing out and going, yeah, bring it on, you know? You know, I, you know, I, I think I'm an intense individual. So, you know, um, my passion personally is always the family, right. You know, getting up in the morning to, to for my kids and my wife, I think that's, uh, that really is what motivates me. But from a, from a business standpoint, it, it it's, it's problem solving. It's, it's, solving complex problems. You know, I'm a person that um, in my role today gets to look at challenges that are different every single day. And that motivates me to get up every morning. It motivates me to move forward. Uh, you know, I, I, when I started the company uh, with the company, I, I said, hey, there, there's some challenges out in the industry I would love to, to tackle. Uh, a couple patents under the belt very quickly of saying this is this is a way to do it. So I really believe that problem solving, it, it gets me going. And the bigger the challenge, the more exciting it is. And then the other side of it, and and while probably I don't exude it as much because I have such an intense, um, you know, pace and reality is, <laughs> is to help people. You know, we're, we're all humans. And I think uh, to COVID has flushed out a lot of the need to, to communicate in person. But it's, you know, the, to help people and to work with people. My success in my career have been based around working with great people, having great people work on my team, working for, you know, some of the best leaders that, you know, uh, in the world and mentors. So helping people and, and, and is something that I, you know, I, I know it sounds cliche when I mean helping, it's not about just solving the customer challenge, but it's about, you know, just sometimes it's about helping someone figure out a different way to do it. Sometimes it's about, you know, just how you and I met talking together and seeing how we can help each other. Brilliant. Love it. Yeah. I love that human centric approach because it's, 
it's what we're here for relationships connection and uh, and, and helping each other you know so that's great I, I love that um and one of the things that um, in our previous conversations we talked about was risk um, and it's a it's a subject that um that not many people kind of take much uh, pay attention to but it's, it's something that kind of it's all around us um and it's a relentless battle uh, so in terms of your role you know in terms of security and, and looking at strategy how, how do you see risk i mean what's the wisdom yeah. around that so that's a that's a loaded question because I think I I approach it from a whole bunch of different ways. So I think when you think risk and you talk about cybersecurity, right, you immediately go to the CISO and go, yeah, we're going to have endpoint security. We're going to do these things. But today, more than ever, risk has changed. So your digital risk protection, uh, this is something I, I talk about all the time and probably ad nauseum. And this is even my daughter said comes to me and says, what about this? What about that at, at nine years old? And digital risk today is um, everything we do that is connected creates this digital risk. Uh, you know, the, the, the footprint of risk is so much larger than it's ever been. And, and I think COVID and the remote working has really increased that footprint dramatically. But, um, you know, I, I would challenge every listener to say, yeah, you have to have a really robust cybersecurity program. But what about your physical security program? You know, you're actually four walls locking doors and locking windows. And then the next piece is how do you have a life cycle management and a long-term strategy around digital risk protection? You know, what are you doing uh, related to, you know, dark web or social media monitoring to what's your brand risk? How are you managing those things? So I think it, it's such an important role today uh, that I think uh, you'll hear you see a lot of companies are now creating this chief risk officer position, which is different than the CISO, which is different than the chief security officer. While I think sometimes that causes confusion, it shows the real challenge of risk. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not just the cybersecurity or IT folks piece of it. Um, it's kind of what if a cyber incident occurs? Okay, the risk is how do I respond to it? How do I have a long term plan there? What do, do I need to have different call centers? So um, not intentionally trying to be overly broad. I just think it's such a huge topic. It's today, it's having a plan of how you'd respond and understanding how you're going to compartmentalize that. So your physical security risk, your cybersecurity risk, and then taking this digital risk protection approach of going, this is really not a cybersecurity, um, traditional cybersecurity thing, but there's a digital risk associated with it. So who owns it? Yes. And how do we create programs and policies around it? And I, I always say people process and technology, and we're all technocrats, right? You and I, we're, we work for tech companies. We, we live, eat, breathe technology. Yes. Uh, my life depends on technology. But if we don't look at the human element first, the process, and then the technology, what we do is we look for the magic pill you know, and what I, uh, to, of technology, and it doesn't exist. Mm. It, it really doesn't. And in the, that's one of the things in the risk portfolio that I think is so concerning when I go into it from a consultative approach, how much should we spend? And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, there's some best demonstrated practices of things you need to do, but it has a lot more to do with what are you, what, what are you doing with your people? What processes do you have in place? Then you can apply the technology. Yes, I love that. That's that's great. It's, again, it's coming back to that kind of human element, you know, and and I imagine that because the market, uh, the, the world is very fluid. It's, a, it's an innovation storm and it's a kind of, and that innovation occurs in a kind of dark and a light way, you know, so there's people figuring out new ways to do it. So it's, it's relentless and um, you have to almost dance with it, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of um, uh, cyber attacks, you know, uh, and, and dealing with that, because there's, you know, the kind of geopolitical world is is changing, the, you know, attacks on, on systems and stuff are becoming um, 
you know, more prevalent, I guess. I, I mean, is that something that you're involved in or take an interest in? Yeah, absolutely. So that, uh, you know, my day to day role uh, is really about helping making sure our customers are protected and, and our brand is protected. And and I think cyber risks and cyber attacks today are happening you know, at, at, a, at a rate that's almost unimaginable, right? We're always being attacked and whether it's a bot, whether it's, you know, a person sitting at their desk, a college kid, it's happening all, all, the, all the time. Unfortunately, I think we're desensitized to it. I think big companies have a fear of it and they have a plan in place and, you know, but I think it, it's just part of, you know, what happens. I think today when you read there was a breach, there's, there's whether you real, but I, at least I'm speaking for myself, it's, it's no longer that, oh my goodness, it's now like, yeah, you know, uh, you know and then, and I think that's part of the, the, the piece of it. Uh, ransomware, you know, continues to be a challenge and uh, because of the sophistication of, of how it's the, you know, it works. But the real thing with ransomware and phishing and all these other things is again, back to that human centric piece. Yes. Um, and it's it's odd, right? It's 2021, and we haven't figured out a magic technology piece to get around humans. And and I, I say that you know, with a high degree of sarcasm. It's never going to happen. You know, there the, you know their technology is never going to be able to do it to to take away that that risk. It's it's got to be a combined effort. And as we're sitting here talking today on this podcast about things, the bad guys are listening to this podcast. The bad, they're doing just as much <laughs> research, and sometimes they're more motivated than us. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. they're they're more motivated us. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I I think it's 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 our early and often from an education awareness standpoint, and then from a technology standpoint, going switching depend the switching gears here, it's making sure you have the latest and greatest technology, making sure that your endpoint management does fit your your world, yeah. making sure that you know you you have that and. Uh, Another big challenge in cybersecurity is alert fatigue, right? This this constant flag waving. So if you have a SIM and you're watching this, every day someone's attacking you. So it becomes this needle in a haystack sometimes. Uh, and every breach, if you read about breaches, right? Um, and all this is the dirty secret in cybersecurity, I think, the dirty secret that no one talks about this. Most of the time you're notified by the FBI that you had a breach. You don't find it. You're notified by the, the government saying, hey, you probably have an issue. Sometimes you find it, but the reality is when you find it, when you read anything about any of these breaches, what do you always see? It happened seven months ago, we think. You yes. know, those type of things. So so it's you know, no one wants to say that because as a cybersecurity professional, you know, that you that does keep me up at night. Like, what if that happened? I don't want to be in the news that it took me nine months to figure it out. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I and that type of thing. But I, I know working with customers, and I mean big, big customers, that more <laughs> more than 50% of them said, we didn't know we got a, yeah. we got a, you know, we got a, we got a temporary top secret clearance letter that I had to sign. And, and any cybersecurity professional that gets that knows what comes next. And you know, that that's, that's the key. Um, and until you get it, you kind of don't have the the feeling of it, you know, what to do with it. And that's, that goes back to what I said earlier about that macho kind of, you know, we know best type of scenario when the reality is, I think we have to accept that, if there is a nation state sponsored attack, the best tools in the world are not are not going to stop it. it it's a matter of 
doing all the things you can. And it goes back to good cybersecurity hygiene. You know, years ago, I coined a phrase called uh, physical security hygiene. I think I trademarked it. Um, I don't think we actually actually went through it as many years ago. And it was about, you know, taking your security practices and have a really good hygiene routine. It's the same thing with cybersecurity. And it's it's a never stop, uh, never stop, you know, moving forward and continuously looking at it. Yes. I, I remember uh, when I worked uh, at a bank, one of the things that they did there, they said set little traps. Uh, they'd send you an email. Um, it, and it's like, you know, they kind of give you all the training. And then kind of a week later, they'll send you this email. And, and as soon as you click it, you go, no, I shouldn't have clicked that, yeah. you know. And, uh, and then you get a, lot of a kind message saying, you shouldn't have opened that, you know. Do you want to, yeah. you, you know, are you aware? So that's quite an interesting way of waking people up, you know. Yeah. So the education and awareness in the video side, is, is, to your point, is that it's funny because everybody clicks on it goes, oh, as soon as they <laughs> click on it, they know. But there's there's this is something that's, uh, you know, somewhat controversial when I say this is uh, so technology professionals are generally the folks that uh, subconsciously think I know what I'm doing so I can get away with things. So they're, you know, the. In, in a pure human element, it, they just cut corners because they have to get things done quicker. And, you know, um, I remember years ago, uh, there's a post on LinkedIn that uh, every once in a while caught pops in the head where someone was doing a speak and they had a, on a whiteboard up that said, if you, you know, if you make it difficult for me, I'm going to find out a way to, to get around it. And, um, and, that, and that's kind of the that's kind of the old anthem of most of most of the time something occurs. Uh, it, it, it's a human and it doesn't always have to be an unsophisticated job role. Sometimes it's quite the opposite. Yes. Uh, and you know, with spear phishing specifically, they, they're usually they're targeting C-suite folks. They're usually targeting. I mean, I get, I can't tell you how many direct spear phishing emails I get in a week. And it's kind of like, from my perspective is like, it, 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 at one point it's like, Oh, why would they attack someone like me? Cause the key is they're looking to get there. Like, you know, they're, you know, and they're looking to get through and some of them are very well done. And, and I can see how someone very quickly, you know, in a normal day could click on a link. And, and once you click on that link, you can't unring that bell. Yes. You know, once you let someone in, um, that that's the key. And, you know, so it's, it's definitely a tricky place. Yes. That's, that's interesting. So, uh, coming on to, you know, uh, you're mentioning the human element being the most important part, people process technology. Um, and in terms of the technology, which I've got in my mind that may be able to help this is, which is AI machine learning. Um, I mean, how's that kind of fitting into the industry? So this is this is a so I guess it was about seven years ago I wrote a controversial article about artificial intelligence that drove a lot of people to get mad at me because of the way I and and it wasn't designed to be that as artificial intelligence is a buzzword it's generally overused in the industry and it has been for many years and I I, I coined it at the same as like if you remember many years ago it was performance measure then it was business intelligence it was big data then it was business intelligence and so artificial intelligence is real and has been so the first thing is you know when you hear that term i want to go back to the, the just the definition right artificial intelligence is just a, cu- a computer mimicking human behavior and so i'm not saying it's not phenomenal and amazing but 
artificial intelligence at its root is just that. So calculators have artificial intelligence, ATMs have artificial intelligence, microwaves. So anything that does what a human does with a computer has artificial intelligence. So it's understanding what artificial intelligence means for you. Now, machine learning is a whole other world of, you know, running through it. And, and you know, that, that to me becomes more, I think, there's a place for AI and uh, uh, machine learning in pretty much everything we do today, right? Because it's going to it's going to enhance what we do. Um, I'm often asked, and I don't write about it a lot because I, you know, I, I think I would probably portray it the wrong way. Is it's not about robots and you know, pe- you know, people not working anymore. You know, machine learning it has a lot of limits in the sense that it's got to be able to replicate a model. It, it, it today, computers still don't have the capacity, ability that a human does to interpret it and change, they have to learn it. So from a cybersecurity standpoint, um, absolutely machine learning and AI, and you've seen it with some of the endpoint detection, is getting better at looking for what appears to be something and helping stop things. The problem is they still need a model to follow. So yes. if it's if it's a new attack and a new way to do it, all the AI really can do is really sophisticated machine learning could stop a lot of good processes to potentially catch that bad process. So um, I think it's a part of it, but it goes back to what I said before, that people process technology. It's just one of the puzzles. Um, And it it is the future, right? You know, when you think of machine learning and and blockchain, you know, all those things that, that run through, it's there. The thing I would say is it isn't new. It's just the computers are increasing, getting faster. Processing is getting less expensive. But yeah. I, I do see a, a huge play in the future. Here's the risk for all of us, though, and this is what I keep saying: is that all of the guys that are attacking us have the same capacity, so they can use AI and machine learning. Bots have been around, right? How many times have you look? If you use a Meraki, you can go into Meraki in your in your firewall at any time and take a look. You're going to see hundreds of thousands of attacks in a big company from a bot. That's AI, right? That's that's not that's a bad guy looking for the open door. Machine learning works the same way. What you are seeing with some of these more advanced malware attacks is they're deploying the same type of technology. The nefarious actors are. So uh, when when we think about AI and machine learning, the thing we have to remember is, yeah, we might be building this mousetrap, but someone's the mouse is getting bigger and bigger and faster and faster. Yes. So or, you know, that's the real thing. I think we don't talk about. We always hear about us using it. We don't hear about the other side using it. And we all know there's, you know, they're the same folks and, and, you know, the same level of sophistication. The only difference I would say is big businesses feel that fine, you know, hackers, which is not, you know, for me, the right term don't have the financial backing. Well, we all know that that's not the case. And, you know, the, the solar winds attack really proved out that it doesn't matter how much money you have and resources you have. If, if you have the right people attacking you, yes. they're going to figure it out. Yes. Yeah. And, that, and uh, to, to, to touch on that lightly, that was quite a serious attack, wasn't it? I mean, that was a pretty biggie. Yeah, so it it, it, it was. And I think the political climate and COVID-19 allowed front page news to get mold under I mean, it was on the front page of every every publication that you could think of and it was really out there but it didn't get the press that it probably deserved because of everything that was going on and yeah. and from my pr- perspective actually i'm publishing an article this week on it um it is really there's a couple things one is it, it's a nation state uh, attack it, it's it, it did attack attack government infrastructure we don't fully understand the scope yet right um and it really is as, it, it, oh, as close to an act of war as you could get, wow. yet 
the average person probably doesn't know about it because of all the other things going on. And here's the other thing is, I don't know if they care because again, we're desensitized to it. Right. I remember when it, I, I, I do a, you know, I do a podcast with the, the lost prevention research council, at the university of Florida. And it was Tuesday morning. We taped, I remember the news hitting and me reading everything and talking about it and going the, one of the headlines read the biggest breach in five years that the U S government had. And I'm thinking to myself like, huh, it's an interesting way to portray it. And it was, you know, if you read that as a layman person, you might read it and go, Oh, so something bigger happened five years ago. There wasn't really context to it. So I think we're still going to hear a lot more about it. I think we, we don't know what our, what the position the government's taken. And then, uh, you know, I don't know there, I think the reporting last I saw was 250 to 300 privately held companies were affected. What does that mean? We don't, we don't know all those things. And also we, you know, we, one of the things I think I'd point out, and I don't think anybody's at fault here. It was a zero day. It was the vulnerability that wasn't there is you, they attacked what was supposed to be keeping people safe. Right. Yes. And that's what I think people, so I have the best endpoint. Everybody uses it. I have this, it, I'm safe. And it gives you this kind of false sense of security of, I, you know, I'm safe. No, nothing, nothing can happen to me. Yeah. Uh, and I equate it, I equate it to, you know, I have young children who, you know, they're running hundred miles an hour. They're never going to get hurt. We have to be careful that we don't get into that, that realm of, I have all this protection in place. Yes. So no, nothing can happen to me. It, it's, it's, I think it's. I think it'll be you know a couple more months before we really understand the full magnitude of it. Yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on that, and uh, that kind of brings me on. I mean, it's, it's interesting that you do a podcast at the university. I, it's a fellow podcaster, you know. Um, I'll have to listen to some of your episodes, uh, particularly around the subjects. It's fascinating. Um, what, one of the things that um, I reading about yourself and, and looking into your your kind of background um, is that you're a bit of a thought leader, you know, in uh, in, in quite a few kind of areas, um, and you've written a book. I, I saw that you've written a book on on, on the subject. Yeah, so thought leadership is, is is interesting because I I it it was probably many years ago I was actually in Seattle um with the Lost Prevention Research Council on this kind of field trip if you will with uh uh, some of the top minds in law enforcement and, and retail asset protection. And uh, we were either at the Microsoft, we were there either Microsoft or Amazon, because that's the two places we're in. And, and the editor of Lost Prevention magazine said, hey, you should write something. Uh, and I said, I don't know. And this is literally how this started, the journey started. And I said, I'm not a writer. I said, that's not what I do. I don't know. And uh, who would want to read what I have to write? And um, he said, you know, he said, hey, if you ever want to just write something, submit something. I think a lot of things you talk about our readers would really appreciate. And that started the journey on um, writing. And I'm not a born and bred writer at all. It's not what I do. It's not what I did. And and I, I started and I, I, you know, my first one of my first articles was about big data and just what is it? What does it mean? Um, and, you know, so think about when uh, years ago going back and um, I wrote in the magazine and, and continued to write. And uh, one of my mentors and I sat down and um, in my previous role, I was the director of technology and investigations for Bloomingdale's and he was retiring. He said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I think I want to write a book and I want to be a public speaker and I want to do all these things. And he's a you know really an amazing leader. Um, and he said, well, you could definitely write a book. You can definitely do those things. If you're, if you're going to publicly speak, you need to slow down. I remember he said that he's a Southern guy and, and I was laughing and, um, uh, and you know, he said, you know, whether you realize it or not, the stuff you write, people are going to get value out of it. So it, it kind of became a journey of at that time, it was more about just 
writing about things that I was doing and seeing and putting my kind of spin on it. And then it, it, it got legs where people would call out of the blue and say, what do you think of this? Could you help with that? And um, uh, for the last three, four years, aside from COVID, I'd speak monthly, you know, at a whole, you know, you know, at different venues and the thought leadership molded into that. And then about two years ago, um, I sat down and said, I'm going to write this book. And um, I wrote a book. It's called The Evolution of Asset Protection, Protecting Your Profit in the Digital Age. It's definitely geared towards retail, but it's about all the things we talked about today. Um, and I didn't write the book for monetary value. I didn't write the book because, you know, I I, you know, I, didn't, I wrote the book because I thought that um, – I might be able to help even a few people of taking the the journey that I took, and uh, the book has had more success than I thought. Um, if you you know, it was uh, it's not a, a a really long read. It's a it's a it's a great book if you're in retail, but it's also a good book for any security professional. Just talk about the journey of some of the things that occur and digitization and. Um, you know, we we were fortunate to be you know uh, best selling on Amazon in the business sector and the retail sector, so that was very exciting personally for me. Um, but you know the the real piece here was the journey started with someone asking uh, and running through. To this day, I still am amazed that people want to listen to me uh, or read. Or, uh, you know, so anytime anybody sends me feedback in an article, it really feels great. And um, especially when I get a random LinkedIn message um, and it happens not often, but at least once a month where someone I've never met before that says, I read this, I appreciate it. Um, and that makes it all worthwhile. Um, it really does. Uh, same thing with the book. When someone does a book review, um, it really, it, 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 it you know, I feel great. It, it, it makes it all worthwhile. Um, you know, I remember my first non-English review and I had to find the person to say, really, really appreciate it. So that those type of yes. things. So yeah. very exciting stuff. That's great. So we'll, we'll put a link uh, for the book uh, at the bottom of the page of this podcast so that people right. can kind of check that out. It, um, it looks like a very interesting read. So that's great. And uh, in terms of your uh, your leadership uh, and, and the kind of teams that you uh, lead, I, I guess it, it's been a bit of a jolt uh, because of the kind of COVID-19 situation, how have you found the kind of remoteness of remote working? So I, you know, I, I, it's kind of, for me, uh, I'm a social person and my team, most of my teams that I work with both internally and externally are, are relatively social. So, um, I, I think from a leadership standpoint, it, it's working with the individuals to help figure out what they need to get it, you know, to get there, uh, both from a technical standpoint and a family standpoint, you know, understanding that, you know, working remote for some folks is easy. You know, I'm fortunate. I have a, a you know, a nice office, a nice section. You, you have an office. Some people don't, so they have to work remote from their kitchen or their living room. And that poses the challenge of, if you have kids, it's common space. So helping get through that from a personal standpoint, standpoint and a business standpoint. Um, I was with a customer. This is a customer on the phone uh, last few weeks and they were taking calls from their car because they had an infant. And it was like kind of thinking, wow, if that was my person, you know, what would I do? And so sometimes I take it in the hallway and listening. And the great part is very positive and figuring it out. But those are the things that kind of, I think if you don't think through, you don't realize, you know, how difficult it is, you know, someone that lives in San Francisco in, mm -hmm. you know, it's one of the most expensive cities and they're in, they have this apartment and they have a, an infant and they're going, well, I have to, to work. So I have to go out into my car. I have to sit in the hallway, you yes. know, those type of things. So working with people individually, I think that, um, what it's flushed out and, and it's a good thing. I, I think is I, I saw a trend where people were texting instead of calling going, you know, 
completely digital and becoming, um, you know, kind of dis, dis, you know, disjointed or away from what, what, what we're doing today. And I think it actually, I can remember pre-COVID being on Zoom, Ring Central, uh, you know, Skype, and people not putting their video on because it was just like, you know, and now the, the interaction needs. So yes. I think in one sense, the hu- humans have realized like, hey, it's important that I see people and, and talk. Uh, I, I think from a workforce standpoint, it's kind of flushed out some of the concerns with remote work. There's, you know, um, anybody who's in the IT space probably gets three or four emails a day about how to manage remote workers at home. You know, this is everybody pushing to sell it. But I think what you start to see is that people can work remotely um, mm. in most jobs and that you need to trust your folks and your fo- you know, the majority of people are good and they're going to work just as hard. Uh, I find that I work way more when I work remotely than I do when I head to the office. Um, I, I, I feel like there, more calls get fit in and you know the for me personally i have to be really cognizant of ending the day and starting the day and you know having a routine or it could get away from me because it's easy to get up earlier and stay up later and you yes. know keep working and i i think what i tell my team uh and folks that ask me is you got to be really really aware of that because you know you you not you know i'm not a big believer in work-life balance the way that it's said i think you have to choose that i don't think it's a simple equation of work-life balance i think you have to know what what you're working on and what's going on those days but i i I, all in all i think people are adapting well um i do think it poses a significant cybersecurity risk that didn't exist before yes um uh but i i think that uh folks are doing the best they can with it that's right. I kind of mentioned that earlier on, you know, people using any device they can get their hands on, you know, and, uh, you know, doing their work on there. And that's obviously, uh, I can imagine opening up all kinds of doors that you didn't really want to open. Yeah, absolutely. And and so remote learning, like I have young children, I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old and um, we're obviously a techie house, right? We've got a lot of computers and, um, but I, I, I am often reminded of don't don't go onto that machine. Stay on this machine for that. Um, in my head, saying like, even though it's really easy for me to turn around and use my desktop computer, which is a family is making sure that I use my computer and keeping it safe. And I I literally every day talk to someone on the phone that's saying, oh, I'm going to use my son's computer for this because you know it's hardwired because he uses it for gaming, so I have better internet connectivity. And I'm thinking, please don't, please don't. <laughs> well, let's, let, and, and not and, and it, it, again that digital risk pr- footprint increasing it's not anybody doing anything wrong it's just allowing another door or window to be left open for a bad guy to sneak in that's yeah. really what it is and you know you want you want to be a hard target not a soft target and yes. it's it's not saying kids aren't even cyber savvy you know i would say my uh, my experience is most kids are more cyber savvy than adults of this day and age it's it's just again increasing that footprint and limiting yes. you know the potential that's right i think there's an awareness around it because we don't as you say we don't think about this stuff it's, it's not going to happen to us and until it happens to us you know um but yes it's uh, it's uh, it's an education and awareness side of things so tom coming back to your leadership uh um, what kind of keeps you up at night what, what are your challenges uh you know so what keeps me up at night today is uh COVID-19 and the folks that um, are struggling to get jobs, people that I've worked with for many, many years that that lost. I mean, I know complete departments that were furloughed, you know, hundreds of people. And so uh, I do my very best to network and stay in touch with people and and move things around. But, uh, you know, um, that absolutely, and that's a new thing, right? That's that's definitely around the events that occur. Um, 
uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, that is probably the key thing in the business world from a leadership standpoint, it, it's, you know, I operate at a very intense pace. Uh, I would say that I, I'm actually, you know, a, I, I think I've been very successful because I have surrounded by great people. I mentioned that before, but you know, that balance of not pushing people too hard is the other thing that keeps me up at night is, you know, um, is you know, because I operate at that intense pace, everybody around me does as well. So it's yeah. making sure that, you know, my expectations are, are real. And I, I encourage all leaders to look at, you know, what everybody's different and everybody has a different mindset. But I think right now it would be that, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that really the, uh, so many folks that I know personally and professionally are out of work. The other thing is, you know, the, and this is a, I'm not trying to introduce darkness into the call, but we, there's going to be a major, major cyber incident or event that's going to occur. And the fear is what, you know, for me is the, you know, kind of what potentially could happen. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll close with, I don't know, I think it was 2000 or 2001, there was a blackout you know, we lost power in the Northeast for a couple of days wow. and it was like mass hysteria. And I think to myself, like that was nowhere near where we are today with the, the technical side of it. So there is from a professional side, side of it is, you know, is something going to occur that's going to be catastrophic in nature um, that will create that, that kind of piece of it. So two kind of sides of the pendulum, but I, I still say, I mean, literally every day I talk to folks that are trying to figure out the COVID angle. Um, and it, it's alarming be, because, um, some of them, you know, it's been a year almost and, you know, uh, very well qualified people that are going, oh, I'm not sure what to do, mm-hmm. uh, what the next steps are for me. Yes. Yeah. It's very challenging. And in, in terms of kind of security and this kind of, you know, society is always kind of, um, in danger in some way or another. Um, but with the kind of technology, I can imagine it's like a house of cards, you know, um, and it's becoming more fragile, you know, potentially, you know, I mean, is that the case? This is something that gets discussed at kind of higher levels. It is. And so obviously uh, my past is heavily in physical security and law enforcement and some other things. I don't do as much of that today, but I, I think it's more commonly talked there. Like, um, unfortunately, and, you know, there are a lot of violent events that occur, not just in the U.S. globally, that people just don't hear about or see about because it's uh, they're just kind of but from a cyber event the house of cards analogy yeah, it, it it very much is and you know like so in one sense the solar winds attack the, someone will say well it was treasury and commerce that was attacked what's the problem with that well mm-hmm. that's what we know about but then and it's only 200 only 250 privately you know public companies were attacked it's not that serious the the the, the key is that is is there this kind of domino effect that is occurring? And we know this. We we know this because anytime Google has a major outage, you know, all of a sudden it's oh my goodness, I can't get to Google, <laughs> yeah. I can't get to Facebook or Instagram, and you know, so what what happens when you can't do anything? You know, for multiple days, what happens um, when that occurs? So yes, I do think security professionals talk about it. I think rightfully so. You, you have to be responsible and, and cognizant of your own four walls. So how do I keep redundancy and my myself alive afloat? So yes. I think that that's in a business sense you have to think through that, but. And COVID's a great example for some of this stuff because we did a pandemic meeting with my organization. So I was on a pandemic planning committee many years ago, which 
was kind of just to, we did it because we were supposed to do it and we had all these forms so we, with control tech we when this started to go around i was in germany in february i was uh, actually in germany in february i went to poland germany the czech republic i, I had a trade show in germany i had visited some customers and i came back to the us and said i think we need to we need to really look at our, our, our plans here to make sure that we're prepared for what's coming. And my board went, Oh, Tom is just being Tom, you know? And, and so I wrote a pandemic plan. We put all this stuff together and, um, what, what it should flush out for all of us is that, uh, not only do we need to have a plan, but we really need to have a response to a plan if something occurs, because what COVID flushed out is it wasn't just about your business. It was all of your suppliers, all of your partners, yeah. everybody's affected. So you could be healthy. You and I are perfect, but our partner that we rely on isn't, and we can't do business. So, yeah. you know, I often say for cybersecurity, for anything, focus on the response to event just as much as you do as the planning and you're going to, you're going to win, you know, with cybersecurity and, and this isn't a shot, but when, um, when the very big breach of one of the credit agencies came up, their response is what created challenges for them, yeah. not the breach. It was how they responded. And then they had to backpedal once you, you went and, and change their response. So in cybersecurity and physical security and in, in, in business resilience and disaster recovery and incident response, your plan is half of it. If you don't have how you're going to respond with yes. templated letters, all those things, I think that's a big piece of it. Make sure you're you ready. Yeah. In fact, we had um, a C another CTO on um, that kind of spoke around this. And they, when they look at the kind of risk formula, you know, the probability of something happening, the impact, they were actually concentrating more on the impact uh, of how, how you kind of make, uh, how you deal with that. And one of the examples was actually turning off data centers and seeing how they dealt with that. Yeah. So what I'd like to come down as we're coming to the end of the arc of the, uh, the podcast, I'd like to kind of ask you some kind of questions about, you know, uh, to the tech leaders out there, what books would you recommend to read to kind of help them in their leadership? Oh, wow. So that, that's such a, so I, I would say for a tech leader to, so I have some favorite leadership books. So extreme ownership is one of what I, one of my favorite leadership books. Uh, you know, I also like uh, good to great. It's your ship. Um, I, I could go through probably every leadership. Book. I'm looking in my <laughs> office, I'm looking in my office and I have nine bookshelves, you know, so I have probably 3000 books here. Wow. Um, but I think when, when you read leadership books, it, it, you know, for me, it's what, what's your style today and what are, what are the things that you're looking for? So if you're looking for a more aggressive ownership style, extreme ownership is a, a book that I really think drives the message home of how important it is that the leader owns it in the end. And I think CISO say they wear the hat and they own it in their end. But what, what, one of the lessons from extreme ownership is you, you actually own a piece of this. The failure probably has to do with something you missed, not just you saying, yeah, of course I'm responsible in the end, but TC didn't do what he was supposed to. And that's why it occurred or my vendor failed. Really. It's, it, it, it's taking on that ownership yourself. I love that book from that standpoint. And then, you know, good to great it, it, again is a, a book for me that really drives the message of good is not good enough, right? If you're not striving to be great at all times, then you, you really are running through that. Um, and then a, a really simple, quick read, which I, I didn't mention is make your bed, which if, if you Google, make your bed and, you know, you know, listen, to the admiral talk about you know the, the his rules for success and it's such a, a a fantastic read and then a silly book 
which I <laughs> there's a book called The Energy Bus that um oh, right. has a it has a kids book and an adult book, and it just talks about positivity and 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 really running through. So, I I literally could say anybody who's listening, if 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 you send me a, a note. LinkedIn anywhere, I would always probably have a different book recommendation because um, I still, I while I don't read a book a week today, just out of sheer velocity, I still generally will read two, three books a month. And leadership books, you know, for me are, I always like to read them because it's fun to yes. kind of hear what other people's opinions are. But at the end of the day, at this stage in the game, it's I like take a little bit from every one of them. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think I'm a firm but collaborative leader. So I take that approach in how I do things where I want my team's input. I need my team's input. It's I'm, it's not about me. It's really about us. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm the one that has to sometimes make the decision and, and, and own it and drive forward. Brilliant. I love it. I feel like I need to uh, encourage you to set up a book club, Tom, you know, <laughs> let's, let's do it. Let's do another podcast. Let's just do it. You and I will do a podcast just for a book club. Book club we, yeah. we, we, we can have, we can have a ball with it. <laughs> it's excellent. Um, so, um, okay. I'm going to pretend to be a tech genie for a second. Okay. I'm going to grant you a wish, something for your company, something for your leadership, something for your people. What would you, what would you wish for? Wow. So that, you know, I, I think that's probably the hardest question you asked for, because I think it, <laughs> it has a lot to do with what day of the week it is and what's going on. I, I know this is going to sound silly and cliche, and probably I'll get a whole bunch of emails afterwards telling me this is, you know, a, a, a better tool um, to manage all of these conference calls to the things. It's kind of half joking. Like I get on a platform, everybody uses a different platform. Everybody has a favorite platform. So it, in a day to day, it would be amazing if I could just go to the same platform over and over again, that's a, it's kind of my silly, my silly piece. The real, the real wish would be, uh, the real wish would be to be able to get, and this is, um, kind of completely off topic, get technology to, to places where it isn't today. You know, there's just a ton of people that don't have access to technology and internet. And I think there's a lot of great foundations about it, but, um, I did a presentation for, uh, the APAC on consumer trends. And there's a lot of misconceptions. There's still half of the, the population in some places don't have internet access, never mind smartphones. Mm. So I think, you know, us on this call, you know, we're, we're on one side, but there is just a whole nother world out there. And I travel, traveled quite a lot, uh, pre pandemic, but, um, and these aren't, this isn't just the you know underdeveloped countries. This is just a general sentiment. There's still a lot of people, even in the U.S. There's still a huge population of people that don't have internet or smartphones. So I would love to be able to make technology more available. And it's not just about the cost. It's about the education and the delivery and and to to make people's lives better. I think technology and artificial intelligence uh, aren't about you know it shouldn't be looked at as a bad thing they really should be about enhancing people's you know day-to-day -day activities and to be able to do things like this yes. can you imagine can you imagine that 50 almost 50 percent of the population doesn't can't, couldn't do this yes that's right it's kind of it's kind of wild what's your kind of key takeaway for tech leaders out there yeah, I think I think it's probably repetitive. Is you know just uh, don't don't stop learning. I think for tech leaders, it's an easy thing to say that, but uh, resist the traditional linear 
approach of I got to get this certification, this certification and this certification and really take a, a much broader approach to learn and understand that I believe and this is definitely a Tom Bean opinion that <laughs> we're going through a, a, a real revolution. And in, 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 yes, the digital transformation is happening. And I'm not sure that CISOs and CTOs and CIOs will be what they are in, in, in the future. I think you're going to see a lot more dual roles. I think you're going to see a lot more operators coming into technology roles. And I think that, you know, if you're a traditional technology guy that's only done technology, uh, it might be more challenging. So focus on your soft skills, focus on things that you might not do before general business, not only so you could to walk the walk and talk the talk, but that you can actually add a different perspective when you're doing your day-to-day work. Brilliant. I love that. Great wisdom there. In fact, I'm going to start reading a book straight after this podcast and start expanding my knowledge. That's great, Tom. It's been great having you on board. And thank you for your time, sir. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's been real fun. Well, do you know what the most impactful personal takeaway for me was from that excellent discussion? It was about watching too much Netflix and Xboxing and not enough reading. I feel ashamed of the overindulgence in these entertaining platforms. I feel I need to adapt and change. Thank you for the prod, Tom. It's insightful to see how Tom is writing and talking about his thoughts and ponderings and how it got him to the space of helping others. Just shows. If we put ourselves out there and speak our truths, it creates new paths and new possibilities. So here are my key takeaways from the podcast. Firstly, failure is a good part of the journey. Screw it up and learn. Hmm, I'm not sure if that's the right words to use. Experiment without expectations to learn. My second key takeaway is the importance of investing in yourself as a leader, as I just mentioned a second ago. Less Netflix, more reading. Thirdly and finally, the art of keeping companies secure. I particularly like Tom's advice around these COVID-19 days, where you inadvertently connect devices up to works networks and not realising that you're opening up security windows and doors. And on the subject of security, the ongoing battle of getting the winning edge on security without thinking you've worked it all out. I think that's a false sense of security. And my last extension to the security piece is that the technology that you're using to stay one step ahead of the attackers is the same technology they're using. So don't think that using cutting edge technology like AI and machine learning is going to be enough. That automation is not enough. You've got to keep on top. You've got to find that new cutting edge every single time. And one more thing. I want to create a book club for techies. Maybe me and Tom can fire that one up at some point. What do you think, Tom? Anyway, thank you, Tom. I look forward to talking to you again, and I'm going to check out your podcasts and compare notes. As you said, we're all learners and we never stop learning. So I'll see what more I can learn from you, sir. Thank you. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long. Live well and prosper until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.